Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have part one of our series, Life Connected, in which we will be looking at some of the core values and practices of North Shore Vineyard. Uh, And today we'll kind of set up the basic idea of a transactional versus relational understanding of the life of faith. Now, just a note on the recording this morning, it was uh, not recorded in the traditional way. It was recorded with the mics back at the board, so it's a little bit more sounding. It will sound a little bit different than normal as it was recorded from the audience perspective. Uh, The information is still there, so uh, just to give you a heads up on the different sound quality. Uh, But hope you enjoy it. hope it's helpful. So let's head over there to the talk. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. service, um, which is pretty cool, because it was only like three and a half years ago that we were just, you know, 10 or 12 people meeting in Mike Manifold's living room over in Madisonville, and so it's pretty cool to to see all the people God's brought together over these last three years. Uh, I I have people all the time, um, I'm going to make sure I turn my phone off this week, yes, um, I have people all the time when I go other places. I was just in Houston for the past couple of days, and people are always asking, "How's the church plant?" And you know, the first few months when you're doing a church plant, it's like you're just hanging on by the skin of your teeth, and you're like, "Yeah, I hope this thing's gonna work. I hope people don't think we suck and uh, <laughs> show up." And uh, so my answer lately has been, "I think we're gonna make it." It, it feels like <laughs> it feels like uh, it feels like. Uh, we're actually a, a church here in downtown Covington. So, uh, but being that we're three years into this, we, we've kind of grown slow and steadily over the last few years. And so, when I look around this room, why don't, why don't we just do a little uh, show of hands? How many of y'all came here in the, the first year of our church? Okay. How many of y'all the second year? Okay. And how many of y'all have come in the last year? Yeah. Okay. So it's it's a, it's almost like a split on this. Uh, We've got people that have come in at various stages of the church, and so I realize that, that a lot of people may not kind of understand what we're going for here at the Vineyard. We've got people coming from various different backgrounds, you know, Catholic, Pentecostal, Baptist, uh, grown up in church, no church experience at all. For some of y'all, this is your first uh, church experience, so you think, ah, this is normal, and that's great. Uh, we love those kinds. Uh, it's, it's the ones who've been in church forever that... Uh, I, have most issues usually. Um, no offense. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I thought we would start off this year by, by revisiting some of our core values, uh, our philosophy of ministry, what it is we're going for here. So for the next few weeks, this is going to be kind of like our, our membership class of North Shore Vineyard. Uh, you know, when we do the, the newcomers lunch, I always have people asking me, how do I become a, a member of North Shore Vineyard? And I've Honestly, I've, I've not had a very good answer. I'm like, well, uh, well, <laughs> keep, keep hanging out, show up. Uh, <laughs> we haven't had any kind of formal membership thing. And honestly, I got to tell you, I've kind of struggled with the whole idea of church membership just philosophically over the years. Every church I've ever been in has had a membership uh, program, so it's it's kind of a normal thing to have in a church. And a typical membership program goes like you, you go to classes for three or four weeks, 
uh, depending on how much stuff they want to tell you. And then you, you sign on the dotted line at the end of the thing and, and uh, you agree to, to serve and give and whatever. And, and then you're in. And uh, while I understand that communicating what a church is about is, is a good thing, I'm all for that. I think the typical membership kind of approach to church really benefits the organization, but not so much the people who are part of the church. Uh, it, it's mainly seen kind of as a formality. Uh, it, if any of y'all grew up in Baptist churches, I kind of spent some time in Baptist church growing up. If you went to a Baptist church growing up, um, you, you, you might have membership papers. And so if you went to another Baptist church, did you ever do that where you had to have them transfer your letter? Yeah, your letter. Okay, sorry, papers. Uh, <laughs> so years ago, when I was on, on the South Shore at the New Orleans Vineyard, uh, this was about two years post-Katrina. Uh, when Katrina happened on the South Shore up to that point, we were a church running 1,500 to 2,000 people on the weekends, uh, moving into a new building, and uh, Katrina hit right when we were moving into the new building, so it kind of whittled the congregation down by about half initially. And for the first two years after Katrina, we had none of the things we had prior to Katrina. We didn't have, you know, before Katrina we had Bible classes, small groups, all these different things. Katrina happens and it was like we had Sunday and we had a lot of serving in the community. And, and that was really cool for a while. But after a couple of years, we were like, maybe we need to introduce some of these things back into church. And so uh, inevitably the idea of, of membership class came up. And I, did, I offered a little pushback in our discussions on it because I said, you know, could we re-envision what membership might be to a way that, that actually is not just a formality of something you say you did 10 years ago, but something that really actually positively affects your ongoing journey in Christ. Is there a way that we could do that? Uh, because, like for instance, my, my lovely wife, Dina, back there. Wave at everybody, Dina. She's, she's tucked back in children's church a lot of times. I am married. That's my life. Uh, <laughs> she's got a lot of this month off, so she's going to be around here. Um, but we got married 15 years ago, right? <laughs> I'm just checking you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will be teaching this marriage class. <laughs> we got married 15 years ago, and we have the marriage license to prove it. We have a video uh, that you can watch of our marriage. We have friends that were there. We wear a ring. But the, the real important thing is not so much that we did this public ceremony 15 years ago, Probably the, the, the question right now to ask is, are our hearts still moving towards one another? Because the reality is, we could, we could have tied the knot 15 years ago and still be living under the same roof and, and, and kind of a lifeless marriage. We could be roommates who share the bills. We could have the appearance of something and really not have the reality of it. And I think that that's the way it is many times when it comes to membership in a church. It's like, oh, yeah, I became a member. I signed up. And, uh, and, and the reality is that was something you did 15, 20 years ago. And it has no bearing whatsoever on your, your walk with God at the moment. So I want to kind of put up two, two kind of ideas that we discuss here at the Vineyard quite a bit. I, I started off this church even when we were in a uh, Mike Manifold's living room. We had the, the big... Uh, you know, easel with paper on it, and I, these were you know hand drawn illustrations. But uh, we, we 
Now with PowerPoint, we've got something a little bit slicker and polished enough. I'm going to talk about bounded set versus centered set. We're trying to be a centered set church here. But most churches, most organizations tend to be what you would call a bounded set. Now, if you look up at this uh, bounded set versus centered set, let's look at the bounded set slide. Uh, the important thing on a bounded set is getting in the circle, right? So it's the, the boundary is the important thing. So to get in the boundary of a lot of churches, you have to maybe become a member, take a class. Um, some churches, it may be you have to look a certain way. Uh, some churches, you may even have to, maybe there's not things in their membership that you better agree politically with people or whatever. Uh, but there's all kinds of things that, that, that encompass this kind of cultural bound, uh, boundary that, that a lot of groups set up. And so the, the key thing is, are you in or are you out under that model? And I think this is the typical approach when it comes to membership in the church. It's getting in that circle. Now, here's, here's the down point. You know, Phil Johnson, the pastor on the South Shore Vineyard, he... When he shares his testimony, he talks about how he was a deacon in a Baptist church on the South Shore for years, and he didn't know Jesus. You ever known somebody like that before? So he was he was an official member. Actually, he was in leadership. He served. He gave, and he didn't know Jesus. And one day he met Jesus, and he's like, "Wow, this is a lot better than just showing up." <laughs> he was. In the circle, but his his heart was moving away. It, it wasn't moving towards Jesus at all. It was something that was purely cultural, social, uh, religious. It was an obligation. It was something that he did. Uh, have any of y'all ever lived that kind of religion before in here? Anyone? Yeah. And I think kind of a bounded set mentality when it comes to church, it, it, it actually encourages this. Because the question is not where are you in relationship to Jesus today. It's always, you know, do, do you do the formality thing? Do you, you a member of the club? Yes, okay. That's all that matters. The other thing that we would propose that we're trying to do here is called a centered set. Now, under this diagram, you'll notice uh, what is missing is the boundary. Under this, this kind of model of church and doing ministry, the, the key question is, the, the key component is you have Jesus at the center. And now the question is, are you moving towards Jesus or are you moving away from Jesus? Now, I've used this example a lot. I pulled this thing out probably three or four times a year when we're going through the Gospel of John. But you can see this in the ministry of Jesus. There were people who were culturally, ethnically, religiously closer to Jesus than others, like the Pharisees. Pharisees, they were guys. Jesus was a guy. Uh, they were really about studying the Scriptures. Jesus knew the Scriptures good. Uh, they were ethnic Jews. So was Jesus. And yet, were they moving towards Jesus? No. No. So they were close to Jesus, they'd be near the cross, but they're moving away from Jesus. Now you can take some other people, classic examples of Jesus' ministry, the, the woman caught in adultery, the Samaritan woman at the well, Matthew the tax collector. These were people who were very far from Jesus, either in lifestyle, ethnicity, gender, uh, you know, very far away from Jesus. But like the, the adulterous woman, she starts moving towards Jesus. So under a center set mentality, it's, it's not so much whether you're in or out, it's or are you moving. So under this kind of approach, the Pharisee that is close to Jesus but moving away is much worse off than this woman caught in adultery who seems very far from Jesus who's actually moving towards. Does that make sense? And, and I love, when I first came across the, the center set kind of idea has been 
a champion for, by the Vineyard for the national movement for years. But when I came across this, I was like, this is, this is amazing. That's why I pull it out all the time. I think it, it just clarifies things because this is the kind of question you can ask whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you've been a Christian for decades. It's not, do I just go to church? Am I a member? It's, where is my heart in relationship to Jesus? Am I still loving Jesus? Am I still moving towards him? Am I still get, am I, I getting his character? Is, is his fruit uh, being manifested in my life? And am I loving what he loves? Or has it just become something that I do on Sunday mornings, an obligation, something like that? Well, what I want to propose here is that you know, we, we've tried to be a centered set church. We try to make it to where if, if whether you're a Christian or whether you're, you know, agnostic, atheist, whatever, that, that hopefully, I, I hope people feel when they come to our church that they feel that they can process their faith wherever they're at. We try to create a very hospitable environment here that, that even if you don't believe in Jesus, that we're okay with you being a part of the church and hanging out. And hopefully, we, we kind of think, we operate under this assumption that you get around Jesus much, you're, you're going to like him and you're going to start moving towards him. So that's that's kind of the approach we take as a church, and, and I hope that we get there. And when I talk to a lot of new people who visit the church, they they, they, they have said that that's, they feel very hospitable here and at ease and unpretentious, that they can really be themselves. That's what we're going for. But what would it be if we applied the centered set model to membership in a church? Well, here's where I kind of land on that. What we're going to do for the next four or five weeks is kind of go through our central core values here, our philosophy of ministry, some of the things that, that, that are important to us as a church. And we're going to give you the opportunity at the end of the course, we're going to kind of summarize stuff into a few statements. And we're just going to give you the opportunity to sign up to be a member for the next year. <laughs> It'll be a one-year commitment. We're just saying, because, you know... Honestly, and this is hard for, for those of us who've grown up in a postmodern world, the, the, I, the word commitment, it's like a bad word, right? Oh, I can't commit to any, I, I get that. I got my own hangups with commitments, okay? But what we're asking for is not that you would commit to uh, the rest of your life or that you just see this as a formality. What I'm going to do is present some of the things that we value as important here. And what we're going to do is say, I, I feel like, this is where God's leading me, and I want to join a group of people. I want to commit to being a part of a group of people that are heading in that direction. And at the end of the year, you might think, wow, that wasn't what I thought it was. I'm going somewhere else. That's cool. <laughs> but I really think by all of us, you know, whoever wants to join, I think, I think by committing to do this together, I think it opens up the opportunity that at the end of this year, we can look back and say, you know, I'm really glad that, that I didn't just do some kind of formality just to, you know, say I don't remember, but I'm really glad that, that I committed to, to journeying with other people in the same direction. So, and then next January, we're going to do the same thing again and give you a chance to uh, uh, recommit. Right, we got a couple on our church, uh, Jenna and Nick Diliberto, who, who do the uh, children's ministry. Jenna painted our paintings up there. Uh, they, they asked me the other day, hey, we we're thinking of renewing our vows in a few months. Would you do that? And I've never done a vow renewal ceremony. I, I do that. Uh, I'm really cheap. Uh, <laughs> coffee. Uh, 
But they said, could you do a vow renewal for us? We're having our 10-year anniversary in a couple months. I'm like, awesome, yes, I would love to. And, and that's kind of the way that I want to look at our membership thing, not that as some kind of static formality, lifeless thing that you just did because you felt like you had to jump into the hoops. I want to look at it as kind of renewing uh, our, our vows each year, that, that we, we revisit the things that are important to us. And so when we do membership course, we're going to throw it out there for everybody. Whether you want to be a member or not, you know, you can see at least what we're about. And if these things are important enough for us, that we will revisit them every year, just kind of like you do when you're, it's your anniversary and you look back and go, you know, this is a good year. Uh, let's, let's, let's think about things to improve ourselves. Cool? So, with that said, welcome to our membership class. <laughs> We're going to cover kind of a different value each week for the next several weeks. And, uh, and, and, and really what we're asking is that you pray about these things, that, that, that you really seek God. Is this something, God, you're calling me into? So today I want to start off by doing a, uh, you know, we have this little thing on our bulletin that says Life Connected. It's not just a, a, a catchy slogan. I actually found that, what's up, Josh? <laughs> I actually found that, that uh, years ago, I was writing all this stuff about kind of this, this idea of a connected life, being connected to God, being connected to people, being connected to your own heart stuff. I thought, you know, when I was at this church on the South Shore, I thought, well, maybe I'm writing a book or something. It just seemed like everything I was kind of digging into was kind of leading me that direction. And then we planted the church, and I'm like, wait, I don't think this was for a book. I think this was for a church. And so I did a series of messages back in the beginning and uh, of our church, and this is kind of some of the similar stuff that we covered back then, uh, but from maybe a little bit different angle three years down the road. John 15, verse 1 through 8. This is Jesus speaking, and I'm reading this out of the message today. Jesus says, I'm the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes, and every branch that is grape-bearing he prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only out of being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. When you are joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on a bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows that who he is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. I love this passage. Because... When I first got a hold of this idea, uh, it, it, revolutionary, it revolutionized the way that I viewed my spiritual life. Uh, it, it got me into, because honestly, Jesus, more often than anything else, when he talks about the, the kingdom of God or the spiritual life, he, he anchors it in analogies and parables that are very relational and organic, doesn't he? There's parables of sheep and vineyards and seeds growing. Parables about prodigal sons and their father, relationships. That, 
Jesus anchors everything in a very relational world. But the world that most of us live in is a very transactional world, isn't it? I'm sure we got tons of you who work in sales. You sell things. You make transactions. When you go to the grocery store, uh, you make transactions, don't you? When I go to Walmart and pick up some bread and eggs and milk, I go to the the counter, uh, check out, and, and I exchange my money for their stuff. And that's the end of my relationship with Walmart, right? Until I come back next time. You know, when it's my birthday, Walmart doesn't call me up and say, hey, just... <laughs> Walmart doesn't care to have a relationship, me outside, a relationship with me outside of transactions. And, and the problem is that, that most of us tend to, because we live in such a transactional world where that's the way everything is done. It's goods and services. I do this, you do that. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Uh, that we bring that stuff into our spiritual life. But the world that Jesus shows us is not a transactional world. It's a, it's a very relational approach to spirituality. Actually, it was in contrast to the religious approaches of Jesus' day. The Pharisees they were all about transactional approaches to God. Uh, so much to the point that they invented new ways all the time to make transactions with God. So I want to compare a couple of ideas today, uh, a couple of things between this, this idea that Jesus talks about in John 15, a, a very relational approach to spirituality, and one that is transactional. I, you know, my first couple of years as a Christian... I, that, that was the world I lived in. Anybody lived a very transactional kind of Christianity before? I was, that was me. When I first became a Christian, I figured uh, the key to the spiritual life is just doing a whole bunch of activity, a whole bunch of stuff. And so I read the Bible my first couple of years a lot more than I even do now. <laughs> I would get up in the morning, I'd read five chapters out of the Bible, I'd read a devotional, I mean, when I'm just waking up, I'd put worship music on, I'm taking a shower, I'd pray for an hour, I'd go up to the church, pray for a couple more hours, I would serve in any capacity that they had, I mean, I, I was just busy little bee for Jesus. <laughs> just going, 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 going. Why? Because I thought that, that, that the Christian life, that, that success was was in all the stuff that I could do. So it was always more, 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 more. But the, the problem was, and maybe that you've been kind of just in your own life, two years into it, I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to give up. If this is the, the abundant life that Jesus talked about, you can keep it. This doesn't feel like life. I was having more fun when I was doing drugs. <laughs> and so... I, I ended up bumping into the grace of God. And it, it absolutely changed my life. You know, now, I, I mentioned this in a worship retreat we did a couple months ago. I said, you know, now I, 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 as far as reading the Bible devotionally, I read a lot of the Bible studying things. But when it comes to just devotional time with God, I read less of the Bible now than I ever have. But I get more out of it. I mean, there's times where I'll spend six weeks on one chapter from the book of Psalms. And, and, and that's, that's, I just meditate on it, reflect on it. But it becomes a place to encounter God. The, the Bible is not just some, something that I'm trying to crank, you know, like an all-you-can-eat buffet. You know, you're going to go back for another sermon, get, get more, get more, cram it in. Whether you know what it means or not, just keep reading and <laughs> stuffing more in. The Bible has become a place, a relationship 
with God. See, under a transactional understanding, success is looked at as activity or transactions. The more the more activity you do, the, the, the more transactions, the better you're doing. So a lot of people this time of the year they make a commitment, and maybe you've made this kind of commitment. I'm gonna I'm gonna this is the year I'm gonna make one year Bible. Anybody ever make one year Bible commitments before? Anybody succeed before? <laughs> I did the one year Bible commitment every every January for like five years, you know, like, and then, then you get to like week three and you missed a couple of days. And so then you're, you're stacking up. You're like, you got like 20 chapters to read this week. And then, you know, you get a few more weeks down, you missed a few more days. And then finally it just becomes this like, I- I'm going to be home all day reading the Bible. And, and usually about the time you hit Lamentations or Leviticus, it's just like, I, I don't have the wheel for this anymore. And so, um, but there's a certain mentality that, that it's very transactional that, that if I just cram more Bible reading, more Christian activity in my life, I'm going to be a, happy per, a happier person. As if more Bible reading, more activity for God is the point of the Christian life. But that's a transactional understanding. If I just do more, then I'm making God happy. That's the whole point. But a relational understanding looks at success in relational terms. It's the deepening of the relationship. For instance, guys... I'm going to pick on guys for a minute. Uh, you may have had this experience. I had a friend of a friend who had this experience one time. Uh, <laughs> you may have come home from work one day and decided to bring home flowers and chocolate for your wife. And you bring them home and uh, kind of with a transactional, I'm going to give you this. And... Uh, and She's not as excited about the flowers and chocolate as you had hoped. Instead of saying, oh, thanks, I'm so blessed. It's like, why are you bringing me flowers and chocolate when you refuse to sit down and talk with me? (laughs) Why why come to me bearing gifts when you don't even want to be in relationship with me very much? You're not interested in... You're not emptying the dishwasher, whatever your chores are around the house. (laughs) In other words, you're, you're, you're trying to, to make a transaction here, but it's ignoring the relational condition of our, our marriage. You're, you're not listening to me. You're not spending time with me. I don't feel valued by you. Now, it doesn't mean that flowers and chocolate are bad. I'm not, don't take that away. If you're talking with your spouse, doing a few things around the house, uh, investing in your relationship, valuing that person, and then you bring chocolate and flowers, that's a good thing. But oftentimes, we ignore the relational context of our lives and try to get by with these little things. And so, like, you know, a lot of people that grew up in my generation, the, the, the previous generation, there, there was this tendency for a lot of the men to work, 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 be workaholics. And so they grew up having everything physically provided for them, but they missed relationship with their own fathers. I find this all over the place in my generation. Guys who had everything they needed, they never lacked material things, but when it comes to relationship with their, with their father, it wasn't there. Because the father was looking at loving the kids through a, a purely transactional reality. I show my kids I love them by providing this stuff. Well, that can be a way you show them. 
but it has to come in the context of relationship. Make it sense? Okay. Another thing is that the tendency in a uh, uh, transactional approach to faith is I do this and God is obligated to do that. Now I'm going to do this, and it's, so it becomes kind of a formula. I'm going to, and, and I've, I've, I've spent a lot of times in churches that, that they gave you the formula. You know, you just got to uh, give this amount, you just got to serve this amount, you pray this amount, and God is, is obligated to, to, to show up. That's transactional. It's not relational. The relational approach sees the spiritual life as an organic and relational process. I love, I love how it says it here. Um, when you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. I love that. Intimate and organic. When you're connected to the vine, Jesus, his life is coming through you. It's going to bear fruit. But it's an organic process. It's not a formula. Under a transactional reality, the goal is sin management. Some of you may have read Dallas Wheeler before. He's a, a great author, a philosophy professor out at USC, I believe. He, he wrote this. He said, The current situation in which faith professed has little impact on the whole of life is not unique in our times, nor is it a recent development, but it is, but is currently at an acute stage. History has brought us to the point where the Christian message is thought to be essentially concerned only with how to deal with sin, with wrongdoing and wrong belief and its effects. Life... Our actual existence is not included in what is now presented as the heart of the Christian message, or it is included only marginally. That is where we find our lives today. Gospel of sin management. You go to a lot, probably on the majority side of evangelical churches today, that's, that's the whole point. The whole point is dealing with sin. Managing sin. And that fits into a very transactional reality. I'm just working to, to deal with this one handful of sins. If I can get these, if I can get this little thing under control, then I feel like God loves me. If I fail, I feel like God hates me. Have you ever lived that kind of life? Dude, my, my, my Christian life for years was up and down. And I'm doing good. I'm, I'm, I'm serving. I'm, I'm going for it. I'm, I'm, I'm having some victory in this area. God loves me. I screw up. I better stay away from God. I better run and hide. It sounds silly to say it like you can hide from God. <laughs> Cover myself up with some fig leaves. Transactional approaches to spirituality make spirituality all about sin and not about life. Sin is an issue, but it's a relational issue as much as anything. A lot of people want to eliminate... Uh, uh, Boil down what Jesus did on the cross to a transactional reality only. Jesus paid our price for our sins so we could go to heaven when we die. And that's a that's a gross oversimplification of what happened. Yes, our sin needed to be dealt with. But why did Jesus do that? Because he loved us. He stepped into our world. He lived in our world for three decades before he ever did ministry. His ministry was relational at its core. 
And so when Jesus goes to the cross, yes, the transaction was done, but it was in the context of restoring humanity to relationship with him. <coughs> Tracking with me? Is it hot in here, y'all? Yeah. Is it hot? Yeah. Okay. Yes? This side of the room is hot. <laughs> Another thing on the transactional side of things is a compartmentalization of faith. You tend to compartmentalize your life into this is the religious me that shows up on Sunday morning, but then I got the real life me that, that just goes about my life. So you got the God compartment, you've got the everything else in your life. The, the this is the fun compartment. This is you know uh, family, uh, school. But in a in a, tra a relational uh, way of looking at it, it's a whole holistic view that everything in life is connected. Everything in life is infused with the divine. The, the world is soaked in the word of God. And so, you can look at something like loving your spouse as, as part of your worship to God. The way you, you craft things on your job, it, it, it's, it's, it's part of your walk. It's not separate. It's not some lesser thing that you do. It's part of what you were called to do. It's a way you worship, live out your faith, a holistic you. The final thing is that transactional approach to spirituality looks at everything as performance based. It's all, the pressure for living this Christian life is all on me. I gotta perform better. I, I just gotta try really hard. And if I'm performing good, then, then, then God loves me. But a relational understanding is an outflow of the grace of God. It's a realization that goodness comes from the work of God. I love this in this passage. Jesus says, my father's desire is that you would produce fruit. That's the goal of the Christian life, one of them at least, that you would bear fruit. Paul defines the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, self-control, peace, I think. I missed that one. <laughs> that too but the reality is you can't produce that newsflash you, you, you can't produce love or joy or peace you, you ever tried that how's that working <laughs> you can't work yourself up enough to be a loving person you can't, there, there are things you can do to, to work on relationships, but ultimately Jesus says the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, that stuff doesn't come from your performance, but from abiding in relationship with him. Jesus anchors it in a relational context. You're not going to get more faith or more peace in your life by striving at it, by cramming more Bible or more activities into your life. Now, certainly the Bible and activities can serve that purpose, but ultimately the question you ask is, is how are these things helping me connect with Jesus and stay connected to him? And I guarantee you, if you're connected with Jesus, fruit is going to happen. It's inevitable. If you have a healthy plant, anybody grow things here? Intentionally? <laughs> 
coming out of the, refri the refrigerator the other day. It was kind of <laughs> scary looking. Uh, if, you, if you grow a tomato plant in your garden, you're not shocked when these tomatoes appear. That, that's part of the process. And Jesus is saying, if you're connected to me, you are going to experience life from the inside out. See, religion, transactional-based religion, gets at the outside only, and it never changes the inside. That's why I say my first couple of years as a Christian, they were miserable. Then I encountered the grace of God, and I realized it's a whole different world. It's just like, you know, I kind of like using the marriage illustration. Again, I don't do things for my wife to get my wife to love me. I do it because I'm protecting the relationship and because I love her. So if you anchor everything in this reality, then, then you can look at some of the things we do in church, like giving financially. You're not giving just so you can get God's blessing or just so you aren't cursed. I did that for years. Now you're giving because you see it as getting to participate in what God's doing. Like you realize in Jesus, I've got everything I would ever want. i got it all. I'm blessed beyond my imagination in Jesus. Anything else is just land yet. And I get to participate in what God's doing. That's a whole different approach. It's a relational approach. A relationship that realizes that goodness comes only from the work of God. Now, one thing I'll say about the organic relational process. If you've ever tried to grow anything other than weeds... I don't know how anybody trying to grow weeds. <laughs> if you use this message in Colorado right now, <laughs> or Washington, it's a different thing. Uh, if you try to grow anything, the process of growing something takes a long time, right? It's a long time from the point you plant that seed to the time you see fruit. And again, I think this gets at the life of faith. See the, see, the wonderful thing, and I'll go back to what I said in the beginning about a sentence of faith. It's the, the, the question, we're not looking at our spirituality as a point where we're ever going to arrive at, and say, like, oh, I, I, finally, I finally did it. You know, I'm finally here. I'm a super spiritual man. I've attained a, a level that, that... But under a transactional reality, that's what you're... If I could just be perfect... Martin Luther's classic example. He was trying to be perfect for years in his own efforts, and finally he bumped into the grace of God. He's like, oh, this is a lot better. <laughs> the cool thing when we anchor everything in a relational approach is you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be heading towards Jesus. Because you're, you're realizing the whole process of your transformation and fruit coming up in your life, it, it's, it's individual to you and your relationship with God. So, yeah, maybe... Maybe there's areas where Bill here is, is succeeding a lot more in certain areas of his faith. Well, I don't have to compare myself to Bill and say, oh, I wish I could be like Bill. And, yeah, I got, I just, you know. <laughs> I can see that that's what God's doing in Bill's life. And I'm going to still stay connected to Jesus and realize that if I stay connected with Jesus, he's going to bring his fruit forth in my time as well. It takes out all that performance-based stuff, all that stuff. And, and so what I'm asking you as a church today to consider is what would it be like to be with a group of people who thought that way? Who treated spirituality as a relational, organic process. Who said, you know, we're going to be on this journey together. 
heading towards Jesus together, connecting with Jesus together? What would it be like to be a group of people who are bearing spiritual fruit? I love it when Jesus, even the way that he anchors the, the, the proof of faith, he says to his disciples, they will know that you're my disciples by your cool buildings. <laughs> They'll know you're my disciples by how good a coffee that you serve every weekend. They'll know you're my disciples by your big houses and, and all the blessings that you have. No. He says, they'll know you're my disciples by the way that you guys love one another. By the way that you guys love one another. What would it be like to be a part of a group of people who are taking their journey seriously enough with Jesus that, that his fruit begins to manifest in their life. That the world outside these doors, that, that the folks in downtown Covington, the folks who stumble in here week after week, that when they get around, they go, wow. When I get around Judy, man, she's just got peace. It just kind of gets on me. I like to spend time with her because she's so peaceful. Or when I get around Paul, man, that dude... He, 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 he's so patient. I, I, I wish I could be patient like Paul. Man, I, I've never seen anybody love people like the way that this group of people loves one another. I want in on that. See, what's, what's kind of the purpose of fruit in nature? It's nourishment and it's reproducing. <laughs> the seeds are in the fruit. And I believe that's the way God's made the kingdom of God to be. Yes, I, I believe in, in telling people about Jesus. But I think that the biggest way of evangelism that the world has, has seen very little of is just bearing fruit. Because people taste that. I want in on that. I want that kind of stuff in my heart. So be thinking about that for the next couple of weeks. And uh, that's just kind of the overall intro to our series. Why don't you stand up? I want to just get everybody to close your eyes. We're just going to reflect on this passage one more time as we get ready to close. I want you to hear these words of Jesus for you today and ask the Lord, what are you saying to me in this? Is there places in me where you need to take me out of a transactional approach and bring me back to a relational, organic approach with you, Lord? The words of Jesus from John 15, 1 through 8. I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes, and every branch that is grape-bearing he prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself but only being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. But separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on a bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who He is 
when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples.